Praise the Lord. Turn with me your copy of the Scripture this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We are concluding this study on the upside-down teachings of Jesus. Before we, before we get there, just let me, uh, I'm just happy to announce that uh, our business meeting last Sunday night was a unanimous vote to purchase the property at 329 West Main Avenue. We'll be finalizing that hopefully this week. And uh, thank you so much. We're excited for what God's going to do. Amen? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. We feel like this is God's will and God's opened the door and uh, we're just excited to see what's going to happen and the lives and the people that we can touch um, in our community because of, uh, because of what the Lord's going to allow us to do. So you'll be hearing more about that a little bit later as we continue that process, but just wanted to update you on that. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and to be honest, we're talking about a subject that nobody really wants to experience. We can talk about it, but we really don't want to experience it, and that is persecution. Persecution. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us to um, prepare our hearts, God, and our ears, and our minds to receive what you want to say to our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you read that, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, you begin to think, wow, that's awesome. Where do I sign up for that? Right? Is there a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center for that? That'd be awesome. No, we don't. I could tell you stories. I'm going to tell you a few stories, but I could tell you many stories upon stories. Stories like a man by the name of Adam, who was a young Christian in India. In his little Hindu village, people were opposed to the gospel. And one day, Adam's brother and his wife became believers. And although Adam wasn't willing to follow, he observed the change that began to take place in their life. And as his brother and his wife began to share their faith and the gospel with the other villagers, no one was listening to them. In fact, they started beating them. And every time the Hindus beat Adam's brother, someone in the crowd came to know Jesus. Eventually, Adam believed in Christ too and, and began to suffer the same persecution as his brother. And one day, the villagers surrounded Adam, his brother, and a small group of new Christians. And in a fit of rage, they had prepared a huge pot of boiling water and they were prepared to cook the Christians, cook them alive. But one of them in the mob said this, if we do this, then even more people will become Christians. So they just beat them again and went them on their way. And as a result of that, that church in that village now is more than 35 families strong. 
because of one person's stand for righteousness and being willing to be persecuted in face of it. Can you imagine? You've just been beaten for your faith and and you see this mob coming that wants to throw you into a pot of boiling water. What would that look like for you? We're going to answer some of those questions today as we look. You know, I think of people who over and over again Throughout history, we see uh, men and women who have given up their freedom, they have given up their reputation, they have given up physical life, all for the sake of Christ. I I think of a missionary named Jim Elliott who went to a, a tribe in Africa that nobody had ever been to. And he preached the gospel, and and what happened to him, they ended up killing him and feeding him to the alligators. But afterward, his wife felt the same call, and she went back to that village and that village turned their heart to Christ. I, I think of, of people like a man by the name of Wally Mandangle. Wally was a prisoner in Saudi Arabia, and, and they tortured him, and they, they would put uh, sores and, and beat him with a whip on the bottom of his feet and, and all around his body, and he was supposed to be executed on Christmas Day in the public square. But God intervened. And Wally now... And saved Wally's life. And Wally now goes all over the world preaching the gospel message of Jesus. And people are getting saved. People like those, even today, you you think and, and you turn on the news and you hear even in the Middle East and in other parts of the world how people are being beheaded for their faith. They are being killed because they associate themselves in a relationship with Jesus. And you come back to this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5, and you're like, blessed are the persecuted. And you're like, what? Yeah, right. But he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As you read through the Sermon on the Mount, and that's Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, you might be thinking this as you just read through that and you think, man, there's a lot of random thoughts in there, right? All of a sudden he's talking about the Beatitudes, the next thing he's talking about murder, and then he's talking about loving your enemies and, and all of these things. And you think, man, this has got to be some kind of random thought, shotgun approach. Jesus is saying, man, I've got all these people here. I'm going to give them both barrels, man. I'm going to give them everything I've got. But I don't believe that is the case. Jesus said, did everything in a in a thought-provoking, systematic approach. And as he's looking through this crowd, he begins to teach them. And and he starts with the things that we've been studying because they are the upside-down values of the kingdom. And as you look through the values of the kingdom and you gauge everything else throughout this text based on these particular principles, you will find that they are life lessons that you learn as you go through this entire Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, is talking. He's teaching a new thought for people. He, he's telling people that there's values in God's kingdom. This is what God wants. You see, by this time, the Israelites had the people all confused, man. The, the religious leaders had them all sucked into this worldly value system. But Jesus introduces a new way and a new mindset. 
I don't think it's by accident that when you, you read this scripture and, and he talks about blessed are those who, when people uh, insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of things of, of, of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is in heaven. And then he goes right into the thing and says this, you are the salt of the earth. That's not a a separate thought. That's not a different message. That's not a a different sermon. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, listen, blessed are they when you persecute you. And even if you are persecuted, just remember this, you're salt and light. You've been called to be salt and light. It's not just, you shouldn't shy away from that. You shouldn't put, and he even uses this example. We sing it with our kids, putting your light under a bowl. You remember the song, this little light of mine, hide it under a bushel? No. I remember we used to have that with our kids, and, and uh, we used to get kind of animated with it just because it was fun. And this, hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine, right? And, 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 we used to, and, and just the idea of I'm not going to hide, I'm not going to shrink, even though persecution might be part of the the process, even though that might be part of what I have to experience, I'm not shrinking away from sharing. I'm going to shout Jesus from the rooftops. I'm going to live a life that's pleasing to God. I'm going to live out my faith. I'm going to tell others what Jesus has done in my life, no matter what happens. You know, it's hard to believe that it's been 17 years as of last month of what happened in Littleton, Colorado. You may recognize, not recognize the name, but I bet you'll recognize the school, Columbine High School. When two teenage gunmen walked into a high school and shot the students that they knew were Christians. Cassie Bernal, who was in the library when the gunman burst into the room and asked her this question, do you believe in God? And as she looked up and she said, yes, She stepped into God's arms. You stop and think about our country, and and yeah, we've been blessed. We really, to be honest with you, church, we really haven't felt the persecution that is there in a lot of other countries and in a lot of other places around the world, but it is still here. It is still here. And it might increase as the days get more and more close. And then I think of also the student, Rachel Scott, who, what she said, it was interesting that a year earlier, she she said these words in her diary. She said this, this was a year before Columbine High School happened. I'm not going to justify my faith to them. I'm not going to hide the light God has put into me. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. I will take it. If my friends have to become my enemies for me to be with my best friend, Jesus, then that's fine with me. It's a certainty that someone here today in this room, if not all of us, will be could face life-threatening persecution. Are you ready? Are you ready for God's promise? It's a simple promise, really. To those who undergo persecution, they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. The persecuted are those Believers who live out these first seven items that we've talked about. 
The persecuted will be those who have lived. Remember the, the series that we've talked about? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. The ones who will live out those things are the ones that will face persecution. You could probably even say to the degree that you fulfill those first seven is the level and experience that you will experience this last one. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 11, it says, blessed are you when men shall revile you. It says that at some point in time, all Christians can expect some kind of persecution because of their righteousness exposes or the frustration of the sinful. You stop and think about it just for a minute about the the disciples. Stop and think about the disciples just for a minute. Every one of those disciples were martyred for their faith. Every one of those disciples faced death for their faith. You think about James, who was the brother of of John. He was beheaded, and it's said that on his way to be martyred, his accuser was so impressed by his courage and conviction that he repented of his sin and committed himself to Christ. Philip was scourged, thrown in prison, and then crucified. Matthew was slain with a sword. James the lesser was stoned to death. Mattathias, the one that came on board in Acts chapter 1, was stoned and then beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his own request because he didn't feel worthy enough to be crucified like the Lord. Andrew, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, they were all crucified. And Andrew was left hanging on the cross for three days. Bartholomew was beaten with clubs, filleted alive and crucified. Thomas was speared to death. John was the only one who wasn't martyred, but he was boiled in oil and exiled to an island called Patmos where he died as a prisoner. Those are just the disciples. I'm not trying to paint this picture of gloom. I'm not trying to paint this picture of, of, of man, this is what's going to happen. This is what, but what I'm saying is this. There were those who felt like that their relationship with God was more important than their physical life. There were those who felt like their relationship with God was the most important thing that they possessed. It was more important than any riches. It was more important than reputation. It was more important than what people thought of them. They didn't care that they were strung out in the middle of the public square for everybody to see and martyred for their faith. Why was that? It's because they had a relationship with God that was so intense. It was so amazing. It was so on fire that it didn't matter what anybody else said. It didn't matter what anybody else did because it was going to be not only their faith, it was going to be their reward. 
I think of all these, uh, there's others, Daniel thrown in the lion's den for his prayer life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to talk about them in a minute, who were tossed into the fiery furnace because they didn't bow down, they chose to obey. Jeremiah the prophet was ridiculed and thrown into a pit for speaking truth. The list goes on and on and on. You know, here's the thing too. I, I want us to understand, Jesus never taught a prosperity gospel. He he taught a persecution gospel. He didn't teach that following him was going to be a picnic. You know, I've heard this thing of bed of roses, that following Jesus is not like a bed of roses. And and that's true. But there's something I've noticed about roses. They got some thorns. I remember my wife uh, was one, she had a rose bush out in the front of our house, and we've since taken it out. And uh, when we were taking it out, I went over to it, and, and she's, be careful, don't get too close to that rose bush. Yeah, okay, whatever. Well, I'm mowing grass, and the rose bushes come up over into on the, where the kind of grew up over the grass, and I thought, well, it's just a rose bush, ain't no big deal. And I'm pushing along, and all of a sudden, Intense pain hit my hand and my arm. And as I look down, I've got scratches and it's bleeding. And I'm thinking, what did that? That hurt. And I went back to that rose bush and found out that rose bush had thorns in it. And so you stop to think about the Christian life. And yeah, there are moments, man, when the end result is this most beautiful thing and God does this amazing work in us and we see all this stuff happen. But can I also tell you that there's thorns in that bush? There are times when it's not easy. There are times when it is difficult, when it has to protrude through the ground. And that is hard. Jesus didn't say that things would be easy. In fact, he taught that it would cost you everything to follow him. He, He said things like this, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. You know, it says, blessed are you when, not if you face persecution, but when. And then he also, as he says, deny yourself, take up your cross. I mean, as we read that, we think, oh yeah, well, I'll take up my cross every day. Hang it right here. And that's good. That's not a problem. I'm not saying that's bad. But that's not the same connotation that Jesus is talking about here in this passage. There's nothing wrong with taking up a cross and showing your faith that way. But Jesus is talking more about a spiritual thing than he is a physical thing. And he's saying, listen, you must deny yourself, take up your cross. The cross in those days, when he said that to those disciples, they all looked at him like he was nuts. Because the cross was an element of torture, it was an element of humiliation, and it was an element that that people died on. And when he said, take up your cross, it wasn't just this little mamby-pamby thing. It was a full commitment. When you deny yourself and you take up your cross to follow Christ, it is a full-on commitment. It's a form of, of us giving our all to Him. This morning, I want us to look at a few things as we 
go through this passage and go through some different texts. Did you know that, have you ever thought of persecution being a gift? <laughs> and you're like, if that's a gift, man, you could just put somebody else's name right on that, man. I don't want to draw that one at Christmas time, right? Gift grab. But persecution can be a gift. And you think, how can persecution be a gift? I want to talk about some things that I believe persecution can do. Persecution, number one, persecution authenticates relationship. Persecution authenticates relationship. Persecution, another word word that is this, persecution confirms our relationship with God. Someone said this way, that persecution is a certificate of Christian authenticity. Hmm. We should rejoice when people see Jesus in us. 1 Peter 4.16, it says this, If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear His name. You know, one of the most amazing texts that I find is in the book of Acts. And there's a lot of, don't, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of amazing texts throughout the Scripture. Don't, they're all amazing. But there's one that, as it relates to this idea of persecution, that really blows my mind. The disciples were beaten, they were scourged, they were basically just told to quit doing what they were doing, and they go back and they have a praise and worship service. And you know what the praise and worship service was about? Thank you that I got to suffer because of the name. Right? Thank you that you counted me worthy that I could be persecuted because of your name. He gave us a gift. Persecution can be a gift that helps us draw nearer to the Lord. Secondly is this, persecution affirms our reliance on God. It causes us to trust God more. When we suffer, we're likely to examine our lives and lean on God in ways that we've never done before. (laughs) One of the most, one of my favorite Stories is Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three guys, man, I, I see them as really cool dudes. And these guys are in this big crowd of people. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon at that time, had erected this huge statue. And he said, at the sound of the trumpet, everybody bowed down and worship. And the trumpet blew and everybody bowed down, but three dudes. Shadrach. Meshach, and Abednego. Now that's, that takes guts. That takes some uh, fortitude to be able to, to, in the midst of all that, because listen, all the other Jewish people that were there, and there were other Jewish people there, they all bowed down. His brothers in, in the nation, his sisters in the nation, they all were wimps and bowed down and said, I'll live to fight another day. But not these three. Not these three. And one of the most amazing passages of Scripture, again, that word amazing, because all Scripture is like amazing. And so, if you haven't caught the theme, that's a good theme for the day, just so you're... Okay, anyway, um, one of my favorite passages is this. These guys, the king tells them, listen, I'm going to give you one more chance. And I love the response of these guys. He says, listen, O king, our God is able to rescue us. From this fiery furnace. He is able to deliver us from your hand. But I love the second part of this. 
But even if he chooses not to, I'm still not going to bow. Even if God chooses not to. Even if it means that I'm going to lose my life. I am not going to bow. I trust that God can. I know that God is able. But if I have to endure this, I know that my hope is found in Him and my strength is found in Him and I know that my life is found in Him. You can kill this body, but you can't kill my soul. You can't kill my spirit. If you hurt me, God can heal me. If you kill me, I get to be with God. Hallelujah. And that's a resolve as us as believers should take on for ourselves. I trust that God can, and I know that He's able. But if I have to endure, my strength's in Him. Thirdly, persecution advances readiness. In other words, it cultivates maturity. One of the best ways to grow is to go through persecution. James says this in James 1. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Why? Because it produces faith and perseverance. Consider it pure joy when you go through tough times, persecution, trials. Because it produces faith and perseverance. Fourthly, persecution brings reward. Persecution grants a reward in the crown of life. Sometimes when we suffer, all we can do is just focus on what's to come in heaven and be excited about what lies ahead. So why? Why are we persecuted? We are persecuted because of righteousness. To be righteous means to be genuinely looked, to genuinely look and act like Jesus. We are persecuted because of the Lord. It's that simple. Because your affiliation with Jesus, you will face persecution. And you may be here today, and you're sitting in this pew, and you have never faced persecution. You've never been ridiculed. You've never made fun of for your faith. But let me ask you a question this morning. If that day were to ever arise, what would be your response? Because I'm guaranteeing you at some point in your life, you're going to have to stand up and say, I'm for Jesus, or you're going to cower down and deny Him. Because there is no middle ground. What would happen in your life if God asked you, or if you faced the idea of losing your reputation because you were a Christian? What would happen in your life if you lost, if you felt like you were going to lose some of your possessions because you were a Christian? What if you lost friends? What if you lost relationships? How would you respond? Because of your relationship with God. None of that's easy. None of that's easy. And each one of us in this room will have to come to grips with how we would respond to that question. Because if people start to see enough Jesus in you, eventually the devil's going to say, oh, hey, listen, I'm taking note of that. We need to do something about that. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in your life, but whenever I start to grow spiritually, I think the devil says, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Something's happening with him. 
he's getting closer to Jesus. That guy was mine a few, minutes, a few months ago. He, I, I, just, I had him at the bar a few months ago. Now he's filling a pew at the church and he's growing. We're going to do something about that. And when you start to look more and more like Jesus, do you know what happens? The devil starts to get mad. Why? Because he can't stand the sight of Jesus in you. Because he, every time he looks at you, he understands the fact that he's been defeated. And he looks at you and he sees the Lord and he sees more of God in you. And he says, no, I can't stand to look at that person. Why? Because I see my future in them. I see the fact that I've been condemned to a, a place of hell because of Jesus that lives inside of them. Oh, I got to keep going. Praise God. How are Christians persecuted today? Well, I believe that they're in verse 11, it talks about three things, and they're on the screen for you. We're going to briefly kind of hit these things. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you. You'll get verbal insults. They'll try to defame your reputation through verbal abuse and insulting language. The worst part about this one, at least this has been my experience, the worst part about this one is when it comes from within the body. from people that you trust. Because as the body, we're to be edifying and encouraging, not insulting and tearing down. The second one is this. He says, blessed are, those, are you when people insult you, persecute you. You might get physical attacks. In Christian history, uh, Christians were fed to the lions. They were burned alive at the stake. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of a Roman emperor named Nero. <laughs> Nero was crazy crazy. He would take Christians and, and put them and, and tie them to poles and pour um, oil over them and burn their bodies to light his garden. He would put Christians on crosses and burn them, uh, lighting the road that came into Rome. Persecuted. These things aren't pleasant to think about, but these are the things that man had to be prepared for if they took a stand with Christ. The final thing he says is false, say false things about you, all kinds of evil. You might be persecuted by false accusation. People might say all kinds of terrible things about you. They may be abusive and slanderous in their words behind your back. And, and slander is often more difficult to deal with because it's harder to defend against than a direct accusation the opportunity there has it's spread the, the rumor has spread quickly and it's gone out and, and there's nothing you could do about it and so you're faced with that kind of hurt and bitterness as a Christian then well, this is the final thought process of this morning as a Christian then how should we respond to this persecution how can we react because sometimes we react in the flesh instead of responding in the spirit. <laughs> you know, sometimes we do that because the flesh wants to get revenge. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> Sit down. We want to get revenge. We get revenge on the people that hurt us. 
I want to make them pay. I want to cause the pain that they, we, they made us feel. We want to do the same. And you can defend yourself by retaliating. You can defend yourself by showing resentment. But the only thing that will ever get you is bitterness. The only thing that will ever get you is a difficult journey. And the hurt will never, it will, you'll never get over the persecution and the hurt. Or we can respond by the Spirit. So how do we do that? Let me give you a couple things. Number one is this. We need to guard against compromise. The easiest way to avoid persecution is to live like the world. The easiest way to avoid persecution is to live like the world. If you mimic the world, you can be sure that the world won't criticize you. Although they might call you a hypocrite. There's a story of a, of a, a family whose daughter went and moved off to college and her mother warned her to remember her Christian upbringing but was concerned that the other college kids would tease her. And when she came home for break, her mom asked her if the other kids teased her about being a Christian. And the daughter said this, don't worry, mom, they didn't even suspect that I was one. Guard against compromise. Don't settle for less than Jesus and looking like him. The next one is actually found on further in this Sermon on the Mount. And it was made mentioned this morning in a word that came forth. It's love your enemies. Jesus said that a few minutes later, as I referenced in Matthew 5, 43 through 48. I mean, that's easy to say, but it's not so easy to do. To love your enemies. It's easy to think of ways to get even, isn't it? I remember when my sister used to do stuff to me, I would stay up and try to think of the most incredible ways to get even. I would think, man, there's got to be something here I can do. I was older, so I always got blamed for everything anyway, so I might as well, if I'm going to get blamed for something, I might as well do it. And she'd come in and she'd flick my ear or she'd do something crazy or she'd do something that would really just drive me crazy. And I'd react. And I'm not calling my sister my enemy today. So, Allison, if you're listening, that's not true. Just trying to make a point. That sometimes we react and we'll think of ways that we can get even. Somebody hurts you. Somebody does something to you. That, that's just a, a nominal example. But sometimes somebody does something that really does hurt you. Somebody does something that really does sting. It really does make an impact because they said this or they did that. And you have an opportunity then at that point to say, will I love them or am I going to get even? Far too many times in this world today, we're all about getting even. And we miss the idea and the opportunity to love. People who are just plain mean to you. What are you going to do? See, unfortunately, revenge is bittersweet. It, 
It, it, we may feel better for a moment, but in the end, it, it's not going to satisfy you. God wants us to love our enemy and break the cycle of revenge. Uh, instead of lashing out in anger, God calls us to love. Then God fights the battle for you. The final thing in our response is this, is to pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your persecutors. Hurting people hurt other people. They attack others in the same way that they've been hurt. Keep in mind that the people who are bringing this to you, they're not, they may not be believers. Hopefully, in the case of persecution, hopefully it's, it's not. And there's some people that need Christ. There are people who need Jesus. Prayer helps us to love the unlovable in our life. Prayer changes people. And the most amazing thing about prayer that I've noticed in my life is prayer changes me. Prayer changes my heart. Prayer changes my mindset. It changes what I feel about a situation. We have to understand that people are not the enemy. The people who persecute or mistreat us, they're not the enemy. We have one enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the evil rulers and authorities of the world. We wrestle against the devil, the forces of darkness. And to overcome the persecution that we are bound to receive, we must walk away from evil. We must guard our hearts against compromise. We must love our enemies. And we must pray for our persecutors. And then the last thing we have to do is this, and it won't appear on your screen. The last thing we have to do is this. It's stand. We have to stand. The thing that concerns me about the body of Christ in America today is if push came to shove, I wonder how many would stand. If it came down to the place where it was, man, Jesus or my life, how many would stand? I would like to think in that moment that because of my relationship with God and because of my assurance to know where I'm going, that even if they kill me, I know where I'm going. To stand for Him. But the crazy thing about this whole thought process is this for me. There are people who will say, yeah, I will stand. I'll die for you, Lord but they're not willing to stand and live for Him now. I'll be willing to die. I'll be willing to stand up and die if you call me to do that. But right now, there is a call that is going to your heart and to your life, and that is to stand up and live for Jesus. The most important thing you can do is let people see Jesus in you. 
We talk about changing the world. We talk about changing our community. We talk about changing our family and, and letting God move and people getting their hearts to the Lord and, and doing great things. And you know what, how that happens? It's when Christians get the, the fortitude and the desire to look more like Jesus and to stand and to stand and say, I am going to serve God with all of my heart. I'm not going to back down. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I've been saved by his blood, and I am living my life for him. For him. Stand. Amen. Father, today, I think of this, this thought process as we looked at persecution today. And God, This is probably one of the things that we don't like to talk about and we sure don't like to experience. We hear stories of men and women from not only history, but also in our current day who paid the ultimate price. They were willing to stand for their faith. And God, today, I I pray that us as the body that if we face persecution, and Lord, you said that we would. You didn't just say it once. (laughs) You said it multiple times. Blessed are we when we're persecuted for your name. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. In this world, you're going to have difficult times. You're going to face persecutions. But then you also said, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So God, I pray that you would help us have resolve to stand, to love our enemies, to guard against compromise in our heart. God, that we'd be able to pray for those who hurt us. In Jesus' name. This morning as we close this service, I'm just going to simply make this a, a time of a closing prayer and a blessing. But if you're here today and and you would affirm that to the Lord and you say, God, no matter what, I will stand. No matter what, God, I will stand. No matter what happens to me, I've decided to follow Jesus with no turning back. And if that's you this morning, I would invite you to stand to your feet right now. I've decided to stand. I'm going to follow Jesus. No turning back. Hallelujah. And so, Father, today, I ask in the name of Jesus that as I look across this room today, that you would use us to see the kingdom of God advance. Here we are, Lord. We are standing for you. And and Lord, every one of us that are standing, we say, God, I am willing to give it all. I'm willing to, whatever it takes, God, I'm willing to give it all for you. I'm not just willing to die for you, but God, I'm willing to live for you. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to uh, uh, become more like you, to experience growth in our life. 
that God, whenever we become, when persecution comes, that we won't look at it as something that is, uh, Lord, just something that is detrimental. We'll see it for what it is. We will see it as an attack of the enemy. We will see it as an opportunity for us to grow. We will see it as an opportunity that we are doing something right for the kingdom because the devil has taken notice. And so God, today I pray, give us strength, give us courage that we need to face Lord, not only the enemy, but God, to live and to do the things you've called us to do. God, there is a world out there that needs you. And I pray, help us to stand up and proclaim the word of God through our life, through our example, through our words. God, I pray, help us to speak life into people. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.